good to be with you this morning. How's everybody doing? Woo, good morning. Well, I'm glad the sun is out and it's shining. Uh, this morning when I woke up, the rain was coming down really hard, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, what's that going to do to the attendance at the church services today? <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. Uh, what a joy it is to be with you. Uh, we're still in our sermon series entitled, Love Is, and so what we're doing is unpacking a scripture that describes love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in your order of worship, you actually have the, uh, the scripture verse that we're going to be talking about this morning. You can pull that out later on. Uh, let me start off by just talking about the wonderful game of baseball and softball. Uh, many of you guys have played that and like that sport. It's a great sport, and uh, it's one that I have enjoyed playing through the years. Uh, but in that sport, in that game, before it even begins... A roster, a lineup is submitted to the opposing team of those on the team that would be batting and in the order in which they will bat. So before the game starts, those are exchanged, and then everybody knows this person bats first, second, third, that kind of thing. And so you have to stay within the batting order. You can change it. Tell the umpire there's a change. The umpire gets a copy of those lists as well. But uh, the top of the order is a term that's used for the first batter and then usually the second and third batter in that inning. So the top of the order for the entire list are the top batters, first, second, third batter, and you got fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. Uh, and in each inning, sometimes you can refer to the very first batter as the top of the order for that particular inning, even though they might be maybe the sixth batter in the batting order itself. And so when I'm thinking about love, when I think about this verse that we're going to look at, in my mind, Paul's kind of given us the definition, but it's almost like a lineup, like the batting order. If you want to know what love is, here's, here's the folks that come to play when it has to do with understanding this wonderful quality, this gift that God gives us. So what I want to do this morning is unpack that and look at these different folks in this batting order. And uh, the top three are very, very powerful, and that's what we're going to unpack this morning. So if you've got your bulletin, your, I want you to take a look uh, at that uh, scripture. If not, I'm going to read it out to you. But Paul talks about love. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, and he starts off describing this wonderful quality with two positives. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Two positives. And then there's eight verbs that he uses to describe love, what it is not like, and what love does not do. So there's eight things that he says, this is what love doesn't do. Love is not like this. Sometimes to understand something, if we look at the opposite, it helps us get an understanding. Oh, okay, if this is what it is, this is what it's not. And that kind of helps us understand. So these, these next eight verbs, he says, this is what love is not like or what love does not do. And let's go through those. Love is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Now, we did that uh, the second week. Love is not easily provoked. We talked about that quality uh, the second week in this sermon series. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now, Fran kicked off the sermon series with that understanding uh, the very first week that we talked. She talked about not being a scorekeeper uh, and that quality of not taking into account a wrong suffered. And then this last in the verse, these eight uh, verbs, uh, has it uh, described, but then gives us a, 
positive counterpart. It says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Here's a positive counterpart. But rejoices in the truth. Then the next thing we have are four verbs that have their very own object, all things. And this is what Fran talks about, talked about last week. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then finally, Paul comes up, and I would like to think, you know, this is like the, the final, the, the triumphant expression. Love never fails. The scripture teaches us, God's revealed to us that he is love. And God doesn't fail. God doesn't lose. Love always triumphs. And that is one thing that we can truly, truly embrace and know as you and I live in love, treat one another in kindness and mercy and all these things that love is and love is not, we're going we're gonna to win. We're gonna, the win might not look like you think it ought to look, but you're always going to, you won't fail. You just won't. So for me, when we think about the top of the order, the top of the lineup, we're going to look this morning at the two positives, love is patient, love is kind, and then the first of the negatives, and that is love is not jealous. So when I think about patience and kindness, uh, I think about a theologian years ago wrote about, he said, this is, these are two sides of God's attitude, attitude toward us. On two sides, one side of the coin, if you want to think of it that way, is God's patience when he thinks about dealing with humankind. And the other side of it is God's kindness. You think about this. God holds back his wrath that he's going to extend when he judges sin on this rebellion that we as humans live in. He's holding back that wrath. There's patience. But then there's kindness. God is extending to us mercy. He's extending to us grace on all different kinds of levels. So you see patience and kindness as God dealing with humankind all the time. Another theologian said God is holy love. So this idea of who God is. And so sometimes these are held in tension. There's, there's this quality of God. He's, he's just. He is a judge. He's going he's to uh, uh, condemn sin. But his patience, his mercy is holding that back. There's some scripture to help us understand that. The first one I think about is Romans chapter 2. Paul writes to the church in Rome. And in verse 4 he says this. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. He says, don't you know that God is kind and he's tolerant and he loves you and his mercy and his kindness is there to draw us into a relationship with him. The reason he's not being one who pours out his wrath is because he wants to bring everybody in. Paul talks about this when he writes to Timothy. He talks quite a bit about his past, how he was a sinner, how he persecuted the church, how he put people to death who put, a, put their faith in Christ because he, at that time, in his understanding of God, could not embrace the fact that Jesus could be God. He, that was just so foreign to Paul's understanding of who God was that he just said, anybody who believes that, we got to stop that heresy. Then Jesus meets him on the road, and he realizes, ooh, he is God. He is God in the flesh. And all of the stuff he understood about God from the Old Testament, our Old Testament, made sense. He could connect the dots. Oh, I see Jesus. 
I see him in all of this. I see him in the sacrificial system. I see him in our understanding of how the priests are supposed to function. I see him in all of the, I see Jesus fulfills. Oh, and then Paul got so excited, so passionate about God because of a new revelation, a true understanding, enlightened by who Jesus is, that he begins to start churches and begins to preach the gospel in a way that, that, that was life-changing, not only for him, but for all who came in contact with him. And especially in this church in Rome, he says this as he writes this letter, and then he has people that want to travel with him. Paul, I just, I just want to be around you as you preach and teach because God is doing miracles through you, and, and it is exciting to be a part of what God is doing. So this young man named Timothy travels with Paul, and he writes the letter to him. We have two letters. He might have written others. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's talking about his past, and he said, you know, God was merciful with me when I was persecuting the church, when I was putting to death those who had a heart and a faith for God and, and, and uh, talked about how merciful and kind God was. Peter understood this dichotomy of God, his wrath and, and, and his kindness and his patience and all that. Uh, and he writes in uh, a letter that we have that Peter wrote, and this is 2 Timothy 3.9. Let me read this to you real quick. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I've mentioned this verse to you before in the past, but this idea of God being patient and being kind, being holy and being loved is true to who God is. And so we want to think about this idea of patience and unpack it a little bit more this morning. Uh, When I think about patience, I think about a lot of different things, but what I like to do is go to the dictionaries and say, how do people define these terms? So I'm going to read you a couple of dictionary definitions. Don't want to bore you, but I want to give you a good understanding of what patience is all about based on how they describe it. And patience is the ability not to lose heart, to persevere bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. Another idea of patience is bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Remember when, when Fran talked last week about bearing all things, being long-suffering. That's a part of what patience is all about. To be mild and slow in avenging. To be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. This idea of slow to anger is a, is a wonderful word picture in Old Testament language. And it has to do with boiling water. It's one that Max Licato unpacked in one of his books. And I love it. I'll share it with you real quickly. But the idea of being patient means to be slow to anger, uh, slow to boil. And so think with me about maybe a pot. Maybe it's a tin pot. Maybe it's an aluminum pot, and you've got water in it. Let's say you want to make spaghetti. So you want to boil the noodles or whatever you want to do. Uh, And so you put water in it, and if you have it on a flame, whether maybe it's a fire outside or maybe you cook on a gas stove, uh, maybe you use electric. But if you say you have a gas stove, if you crank the heat up, the flames really high, then you got more heat, more intensity, and the water will boil quickly compared to if you keep the flame low, and it takes a long time to heat that water up, and it's very slow to boil. So patience has this idea, this word picture of being slow to boil, keeping the flame low. So when you get in a situation and you, and you want to, to lose your cool, like we talked about love not being provoked the, the, the second week, um, you want to get angry at something, patience says, uh-uh, Mark, keep the flame low. Be slow to boil, slow to get upset. It's a wonderful idea of, of patience. 
A couple of other things that help round out my understanding of it. It's the ability to wait for a long time without becoming annoyed or upset. If you wait, but then you're grumbling and complaining and you're annoyed, you're not, pa- you're not being patient. You're patient up until the point that you become annoyed, up until the point that you become upset. That's patience. The other is just you not being able to hold it together. You know what I'm saying? And, and we are like that many times, amen? Uh, a couple more, then we'll, we'll move on. The ability to remain calm and not become annoyed when dealing with problems or with difficult people. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then finally, patience is that level of endurance one can have before negativity. So it's this idea of being patient, being slow, waiting on something. Uh, many times, we're, because we're Christians, we, we are patient because we know good is at the other end of this ability to be long-suffering, the ability to endure. Because God is good, love never fails, we're going to win in the end. And so you can endure because you know at the end there's going to be something that's worth waiting for, worth being patient. Uh, This idea of patience is important. And you also see it in the game of softball and baseball. Now, I don't want to embarrass Carson, but Carson's sitting right here in the third row, and I've watched her play baseball. And Carson is an amazing hitter. Carson can hit a high ball. She can hit a ball that's low and outside. If they jam her in the middle, she can step back and she can make contact with it. She can hit about any ball that's thrown within the length of her bat. She just can. And I know people like that. They can hit anything. But what do the coaches tell somebody like Carson? What do they say? Wait for your pitch. Carson, have you heard that before? Wait for your pitch. Because you can hit anything. You can make contact with it and get it out from the home plate. But what we want to do is we want to maximize this at bat. You having the opportunity to hit, we want to maximize that. We want you to hit the best ball you can. So don't settle for one low and outside even though you can hit it. Don't be a sucker and hit the high ball, which you can hit, but wait for that pitch, which is right where you want it, so you can send it where you know you need to send it. Maybe there's a gap in right field. Maybe the shortstop's playing way over. Whatever You know where you can hit it, so wait for what? Your pitch. So patience is a part of baseball, especially when people are good at batting. You've got to be extra patient because you can hit about anything. So this idea of waiting, 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 being patient, You see it in lots of different things, especially in the game of baseball. So love is patient. Uh, When I think about being patient, I think about lots of different things, but I want to share a couple things with you, three in particular, areas in which I need to be patient and you need to be patient. The first thing is to be patient with things. Remember a couple of weeks when we talked about not being easy to provoke? Things can provoke me to anger. I, can, I, I lose my patience with things like the computer, and I talked about that, how you know I'm sitting there and I, I don't understand it, so I was like, oh, and Fran comes in. Honey, you want me to help you with that? Yes, please help me with this. You know, that kind of thing. So computers and stuff like that. You know, remember we talked about Russell Lloyd taking his shotgun out and doing what to his lawnmower? Shooting his lawnmower, right? So sometimes we, we aren't patient with things. Um, and so Paul writes uh, about that as well. But I want to lift up something that James says. This is James 5, 7 and 8. He talks about being patient. And he uses the farmer. He says, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. A seed is a thing. 
And when you plant that seed in the ground, or when I plant that seed in the ground, it needs some things to grow. It needs good soil. It needs moisture, sunlight, all those kind of things. But one of the things it has to have is time. Amen? It just takes time. And so we have to be patient with things in this world. Things, many times, it just takes time. We need to be patient with people. First Thessalonians says, be patient with not just your family. Be patient with uh, not just the people that you're in school with. Be patient with people at work. That, that's not the limit. Paul writes, is it up on the screen? Oh, there it is. Be patient with everyone. Love is patient. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about God is he equips us to do what he asks us to do. He doesn't tell us to do something like love without equipping us with the ability to do what he asks. Does that make sense? That just wouldn't be fair. God is just. If God asks us to do something in the New Testament understanding and Christ, we have the ability in God to do that. Amen? So part of the fruit of the Spirit, what we have when we receive the Holy Spirit, a byproduct of that fruit of that, is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so love has this ability to be patient. And it's a fruit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So you and I have the Holy Spirit. We can be patient. And we can be patient with everyone. Now there's some folks that you just, it's just more difficult to be patient with them. But guess what? God gives us the ability to be patient even with them. Now there's somebody in my world because this is being taped and I, I don't want, it'll be on the internet and everything. I, I can't tell you who this person is because <laughs> if they watch it, then they're going to be mad at me. But there's a person in my world that I, I lose my patience with them so quick. They happen to be a member of my family, happen to be younger than me, happen to be related to me. Uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, so I, and, and he'll, he'll know who he is if he starts listening to this. Uh, and, and there's two of them. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, they can just, oh man, I can lose my patience with these two guys quicker than anybody in the world. But I love these two guys so deeply, and, and, and uh, I've given you too much information. Be patient with everyone. <laughs> Let's move on. And the final thing, and you might say, Mark, this sounds weird, but, but this is true. We need to be patient with God. So, ooh, be careful, Mark. <laughs> no, seriously, we need to be patient with God. Because God says certain things, and we know we can trust him. But if it doesn't happen quickly, then we have the tendency, we have the, uh, we might lose our patience with him. Let me give an example of someone that I, oh my gosh, he just blows my mind when I think about him, and that is Abraham. Now, Abraham lived thousands of years before Jesus, and Abraham is a father of our faith. And Paul writes about Abraham in Romans, he writes about Abraham in lots of other places, but he gives us a great example of being patient with God. So, in Romans chapter 4, Paul writes, he says, What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What has he found? We know the story about Abraham, but one of the things that Paul's highlighting here is the fact that God promised Abraham he was going to be a father of many nations. That he was going to be the father of a particular child, and from this, this particular child... All the nations of the earth are going to come. 
and be blessed because of, of your family, Abraham, growing and growing and growing. Abraham was 75 years old when God made this promise to him. Took him out, said, look at the stars, Abraham. Your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's a lot of people. Now, guess what? Because of your faith in God and specifically in Jesus, the New Testament tells us that you and I are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. We are a part of that promise that God made to Abraham, that you are part of that blessing. You are part of Abraham's offspring because of faith in Jesus. And so, so Abraham gets this promise when he's 75 years old. Now, when he's 86, Ishmael's born, and God says, no, Sarah gave you Ishmael's mama to, to have a baby because Sarah was not patient, but, but, but that's not the child I'm promising you, okay? So this is what he goes on to say. So that was verse 1, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 18. He says, now this is talking about Abraham. In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken. Quoting God here, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, I love this. And without becoming weak in faith, he, Abraham, contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he promised, he was able also to perform. So here's Abraham, 75 years old when God said, you're going to be a father of a multitude. Changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. And so one year passes by, Sarah's not pregnant. Two years passes by, Sarah's not pregnant. Three years, four years, five years, Sarah's not getting pregnant. 25 years pass by and Isaac is born. Now Abraham understood, I'm 100 years old. And Sarah, you know, you just don't have babies when you're 90 something years old. You know, so he contemplated, he understood the situation, but with respect to God's promise, Abraham grew stronger in faith. He was fully assured that what God had promised, God was going to do. But Abraham had to be patient with God. He's not slow about his promises, as we read earlier, as some count slow. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. But it might not be in my timing. It might not be in your timing. It might be a year later. It might be two years later. And in Abraham's case, it was 25 years later that God said, now is the time. Now, Lord, please don't let 25 years go past for a promise that you make. But, but even if it does, it's worth waiting. Amen? So we want to be patient. Next thing is we want to be kind. Let me give you a definition. I love this. Being sympathetic or helpful in nature. Gentle, tender, attentive, thoughtful, considerate. Willing to do good on behalf of others and to be gentle and caring and helpful in that good. So when I'm kind to somebody, oh, there's a tenderness. There is a, an attentiveness to that person. There is a desire for good for them, not harm. I remember a young lady that I met years ago. I'm going to not use her real name, so I'm going to call her Sarah. But when I first met Sarah, she, and we've got three daughters, so I've been around girls as they've grown up. I've been, and so as I met Sarah, there was this, there was this heaviness on her. There was this darkness that, that just was, was just a part of her life. And I remember praying, God, what, what, 
you know, what does she need? How, how do I minister to her? And sure enough, I knew Sarah for, for about nine months uh, from the beginning of the school year to, to the end of the school year. That's about how long I knew Sarah. And so early on in the fall when I met her, uh, she wasn't walking with Jesus. And uh, there was this heaviness on her. And the more and more she learned about Jesus and more and more she started listening to Christian songs because she loved music, the more and more she began to say, wow, this is a, a totally different understanding of the world than I have. And she started to embrace some of the teachings of Jesus. And right before Christmas, around the Thanksgiving break, she gives her heart to Christ and she becomes a believer. And she is a different person. There is light coming from her. And she starts learning more about Christianity. And early in the spring, I remember talking to her and she said, Mark, I'm so happy. I was like, I can tell what, what is going on. You're smiling, you're beaming. You're... And I didn't tell her, there's not this heaviness and gloom on you anymore. And she said, well, I, I've forgiven those people that have hurt me. I know I needed to release them and I've forgiven them. And then I've been treating people nice. And Mark, guess what? When you're nice to people, they're nice to you back. And even if they're not, it's just better to be nice. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Sarah, you're right. I mean, she said, I, so she's being, being nice to people. And people are nice. To, and, and so Jesus said, you reap what you sow. So a lot of times if you sow, and it's kind of an agricultural term, if you're, if you're nice sowing, then a lot of times you're going to, if you're nice to somebody, a lot of times, like she said, they're nice to you back. And even if they're not, it's just better to be nice. Amen? And so this idea of kindness, I saw that in her life. And, uh, and just throughout the rest of that school year, she just blossomed and got better and better at just reflecting Jesus and being kind and nice to folks. And uh, just a powerful story of, of, of the transforming power of God. But I always will remember what she said. Mark, it's just better to be nice. Amen? Uh, so kindness. Finally, we're going to wrap up with not being jealous. Love is not jealous. Uh, this idea of jealousy is, is a desire to have the same or the same sort of thing that someone else has. Uh, when you get into jealous, uh, envy starts creeping in. And envy is the desire to deprive somebody else of what they have. It's a desire not only to have it, but to keep them from having what they have. And so this idea of jealousy, man, you, you know, and, and when you think of somebody jealous, they turn what color? Theoretically. Green with what? Envy. So jealousy and envy can kind of come together. So if, if somebody has something or I see somebody enjoying something that I want for myself, then I be can become jealous. When you think about relationships, let's say you're dating someone and this person is, is talking and laughing with somebody else, you might think, I want that person to, to laugh and joke with me. I don't, I don't want them to have more fun with that person than they're having with me. And so we can have a tendency to want to be jealous about what's happening in there. So you see jealousy a lot of times in relationships. Now, if you're married, let me speak to you. Jealousy shouldn't be a part of that relationship. And you and I as married, I'm married. So what we don't want to do is live a life that causes our spouse to have to even deal with the emotion of jealousy. So don't be flirting and doing all that stuff with somebody else because that's not an appropriate way to live. Don't do anything that's going to cause your spouse to be jealous if they see you interacting with someone else. Sometimes we can be jealous of people. Sometimes we can be jealous of time. Your spouse might be working a whole lot and think, man, I wish I could have time with them like they're spending with fill in the blank, work, 
what a, that kind of thing. So there's this desire to have what somebody else has, uh, this idea of sometimes coveting, longing for what somebody else. So love, love is not jealous. Now, if you love somebody, you don't want to do something to make somebody have to deal with being jealous or not. So that's important. But, but let me clear up something that, that could be a, 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 mis, a misconception of jealousy. And that is the scripture talks about God being jealous. God is a jealous God, the scripture says. Uh, here's the understanding of that. Here's the right interpretation of that. It doesn't mean that God is looking down from heaven and seeing you having fun with someone else and going, oh, Jesus, I, I, I wish they would like me like that. I'm jealous about it. That's not it. God is in need of nothing that he has made. Everything he's created, he doesn't need. He, he just doesn't. Does he need you? No. Does he need me? He does not. He doesn't need us. There's no deficiency in his character. There's no lack in who he is. So he doesn't need you. But here's something else about God. God is love. And God created you. And God created me. And when God created us, and because he loves us, oh, he longs to have you in a relationship with him. He longs to have me. In a, it's not because of a deficiency in his character. It's not because of insecurity in who he is. It's because he is love. Does that make sense? So if you and I reject him, he's not up in heaven crying, going, I wish they would love me because they don't. No, don't, don't, don't go there because that's not God, okay? But here's how God is jealous. Now, I'm going to use the example of a dog. God is not a dog, but I'm going to use an example of a dog because I've seen dogs do this. We've had dogs as I've grown up, and if you put food in a dog's dish and they're starting to eat that food, and another dog comes up and wants to eat that same food, what will a dog do? They, most of the time they will growl. Like, you're not getting any of this food because this food is what? This food is mine. Now, don't even go into sharing and all that. I mean, there's a Christian. You want to share. You want to be kind. So don't go there. That food is his or that food is hers. And they are protective of that food because it belongs to them. Does that make sense? So when a dog growls, that, that is, don't come near. This is mine, and I protect what is mine. So when we think about God being jealous, which he is, here's the understanding. You and I were created by God, and God loves you. And when you and I don't walk with him, there is this protective side of who he is that says, I am jealous for you because you are mine. You belong to me. I don't want any harm to come to you. I don't want anything to happen to you that will destroy you. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And God knows that when we are not walking with him, then we are susceptible to horrible things, emotionally scarred, physically in danger, all of those things. When you walk out from God's protective umbrella, there's all kind of bad out there. And he knows that. So he is jealous for you and jealous for me. Not because he's insecure, don't want you to give love to somebody else and wants what you have. No, but because you belong to him. And he wants to be protective and is protective. And he wants what is best for us. So that's the idea of jealousy that when the scriptures talks about God being jealous, which he is, that's what we need to understand.
So uh, he, he wants what is best for us. And so when he cautioned the people of Israel in the Old Testament about, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. All of these nations are worshiping other deities and doing, they're doing practices and, and, and activities they're engaged in that are not good. They're not wholesome. They're not moral Things like sacrificing their children to God to get the God to, to, to uh, do what they want them to do. He's saying, no, don't embrace any of that belief. Don't do any of those things. Don't take up any of those habits because they're detrimental. Read between the lines here. Because they're detrimental, they're harmful, and they're going to destroy you if you live that way. So I'm a jealous God. You are mine. I don't want you to go out and live that way. Because I care about you and I want to be protective. Amen? All right. So love is not jealous in that sense. Now, a couple of more things and we'll close. James talks about this. This is James chapter 4. He says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on yourselves. So our human nature, we have to fight against being patient. We got to fight against being kind. We got to fight against being jealous because we are insecure. We don't want somebody else to have something that, that we want or, or we, we want to have that relationship that we see maybe somebody else having. But love is patient. Love is kind. And love is just not jealous in the sense that we're talking about being envious and jealous. Amen. So imagine what it'd be like if at the top of the order, you and I come up to bat and wait on that good pitch and we're patient every time. Oh, doesn't it feel good to go to first base, second base, third base, round, third base, come home, get that home run? Doesn't that feel good? Because we've been patient. Ah, think about kindness. Oh, you're in a situation. Ooh, somebody's getting on your nerves and you are kind. You are you are acting in love. Just think about what that's going to be like. And then just living in a world where we celebrate the good that something, and we're not jealous about what somebody else has or what somebody else might be uh, enjoying, but we celebrate that. We rejoice in that. Ah, in the top of the order. Whew, those are the guys, those are the girls. Many times they get on base and make the, make the score go way up for their team. Let's do that for Martha Bowman. Do that for God. Amen.